재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵. Time now for our international news digest. We're going to take a look at some of the major issues making headlines around the world. Uh, give us your thoughts. Text us at pound one zero one three for fifty one, or send us a Kakao Talk message. We're going to first uh, focus on uh, how the economic situation here in Asia is, uh, particularly with our neighbors China and Japan. Joining us for that, we have from the London School of Economics, uh, Economic History, uh, Dr. Kent Deng. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Uh, first, let's uh, talk about China, if we can. Uh, they have a growth target of about 6.5 to 7% GDP growth for 2016. Um, do you think this uh, growth target is achievable, and what are some of the factors at play? Well, I, I certainly think this is achievable um, for the following reasons. First of all, um, China has a economy which is not totally uh, a market one. Therefore, the state still has a very strong and big influence in about all sectors in the economy. So if the state decides to um, generate enough growth in the short run, not in the long run, though, in the short run, it will happen. So for this year, I think the growth rate will be more or less guaranteed uh, at that rate you just mentioned. Secondly, uh, there are several factors uh, which can uh, generate more growth within the economy. The first factor is urbanization. China has basically half its population urbanized. Another half is still in the rural regions. So we would say China will have another 20% of people moving to cities in the next 10 to 20 years. So that certainly will generate a lot of growth within. Secondly, China has a very strong uh, manufacturing sector and a very weak, relatively speaking, services. Mm. So this is a growing uh, sector. China can actually generate a lot of growth in the next 10 years. The last one is the regional differences, the regional income gaps between coastal China and the interior. So the gap can be 1 to 10. So, you know, for those less developed China, vis-a-vis uh, -vis the developed China, uh, China will actually have enough, if you like, leeway within the country. Now, so that's my answer. Okay, well, with, with China and a lot of the concerns, especially is very important to South Korea because it is by far... Uh, Korea's largest trading partner. So anything that happens there will have an outside effect here in South Korea. In your view on China, do you think they still have plenty of economic firepower to overcome uh, all the various economic challenges? Or is there a risk of, and this is what Koreans fear, is that there might be a hard landing? Yes, this is really our concern. The danger is there, especially uh, the housing market the bubble is, you know, looming large. Um, but we have to remember um, the state. Now, this is really uh, a uh, party state uh, country. The state can steer the economy into trouble, and the, the state can steer the market out of trouble. So, uh, state has 
lot of uh, sort of control uh, over capital, capital formation, uh, export, uh, domestic you know consumption. So it is because it's not market economy, and the state's control of resources may actually bail China out in the short run. But in the longer run, if state uh, doesn't correct the uh, current imbalance of the economy, something bad will happen. But uh, in my view, it's not in the short run. It will be in the medium or long run if state doesn't, in a way, behave itself. Because state uh, has a very busy hand uh, just across about all sectors at the moment. Let's so the firing power is still there. I, I think the residual of the firing power okay. of the state-running business is still there. Well, certainly uh, concerns abound here uh, with China, but also uh, to perhaps a lesser extent with Japan. Uh, if we can uh, shift our gears there, uh, the Japanese government lowered their estimation of the economy for the first time in five months. Um, Dr. Deng, why is the Japanese economy still struggling uh, to return to growth despite all of those very, very dramatic efforts by the uh, current Prime Minister Shinzo Abe? Yes, uh, this is really a, a problem for all economists. Um, after basically the oil shock in the 70s, and then it deepened, uh, the problem uh, became deepened uh, in the 80s and 90s. Uh, Japan is an example of stagnation rather than growth. I think several fundamental reasons are there um, to basically drag, if you like, uh, the Japanese economy down. The first one is compare with its size and compare with the population. Japan has very small resource base. So unlike the other G7 countries, Japan has the smallest um, resource base uh, in the in you know, the entire develop, developed world. So that means uh, the life uh, line of Japan's economy will have to be export. Mm. But currently, Japan only exports about 13 to 15 percent of GDP compared with 40 to 50 percent of China's export. So Japan basically cannot export as much as it promises. So, um, are these... Um, your policy has no difference with other G7 countries. Uh, you know, I don't think he has a lot of imagination for that matter. Mm. For example, quantitative easing, which basically uh, generates a lot of growth uh, in the you know, uh, capital market by capital injection. And, uh, you know, basically this would... You know, uh, lower the exchange rate between uh, the Japanese yen and all the major Western uh, currencies. So hoping this will actually encourage Japanese exports, but they didn't actually, re uh, they didn't realize every G7 country mm. is doing exactly the same. So everybody is at each other's throat. So unless Japan uh, have done something dramatically different from this quantitative easing and uh, and also uh, raising public debt and uh, raising unemployment 
and raising in inflation, it wouldn't actually help Japan even in the short run. So I think Japan is run of ideas, which is really a problem of that economy. Yeah, and really uh, raising some more questions as to is there even any possible uh, solution uh, to this. Uh, unfortunately, we have run out of time, but Dr. Deng, thank you so much for your analysis. Appreciate it. My pleasure, indeed. Thank you. That was uh, Dr. Kent Deng from the London School of Economics. We're going to now focus on uh, what's going on in the Middle East, get some analysis there from Durham University, the School of Government and International Affairs. We have Professor James Piscatori on the line. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us, sir. Let's uh, first start with uh, the battle against ISIS, uh, some recent headlines of how uh, Syrian forces loyal to Bashar al-Assad uh, has re recaptured the uh, historic city of Palmyra, the Iraqi military, supported by a U.S.-led coalition now trying to retake the northern city of Mosul. Um, how significant is, are all these recent developments in your view, sir? Uh, I think very significant, um, but, but not decisive. Um, the attempt to capture, recapture Mosul, for example, is going to be a very difficult uh, endeavor. So far, only something like four villages have been captured with U.S. support, um, but it's un estimated that something like eight to 12 brigades will be needed. And so there are, there are problems built into the operation itself. There will be need for ground troops. Um, this would have to be a combination of Kurdish forces, elite Iraqi soldiers, and some of the Shia militias. Um, the trouble is that they don't often get along and they don't often cooperate. So that's, that's going to be a built-in problem. Um, also, the, the battle itself is going to be difficult. It has to be cut off of uh, the uh, Islamic State supply routes and then the clearing of the villages around it before the final uh, battle can occur. But it would be significant if um, Mosul does fall, is recaptured. It would be significant since it's the second largest city in Iraq. Mm. And it's also the largest city in the Islamic State's caliphate, so-called caliphate. So the, the capture of Palmyra is, of course, important in, in Syria in terms of uh, sort of uh, giving a boost uh, to the to the anti-ISIS forces, uh, but Mosul would be a much bigger prize. Right, and it seems, I guess, to a news observer that there has been a a shift here. Uh, Islamic State has ceded large uh, pockets of territory in both Syria and Iraq. Are we seeing is it necessarily a turning point, or is this really more of a seesaw type of situation? Well, I think no doubt that there, there have been significant reversals and loss of territory for the Islamic State. But the situation, I think, remains very fluid. Um, exchanges of control of territory, I think, are just to be expected. And they'll probably occur again. Uh, so what's more important, I think, are two things. Uh, one is the Islamic State's ability to implant itself uh, in other areas uh, where there's been a collapse of government control. And we're seeing that in Libya already. Mm. We're seeing it in parts of Africa. So I think, so even if they do lose territory in Syria and Iraq, there are, of course, other areas where for, that would be fertile ground for them. And, of course, the second is, and we've just tragically seen this in the case of Brussels, the support for terrorism around the world. And that's not diminishing, uh, particularly in Europe. 
there are so many competing factions here, and it's very complicated uh, to try and make sense of what's going on. Of course, uh, recapturing Palmyra, that was done by the uh, pro-Bashar al-Assad forces, not necessarily on the same page with this U.S.-led coalition. Overall, though, as far as ISIS is concerned, to say that, uh, I, I guess to very simplistically put it, the good guys are now winning this war would be very, very early days, right? It's, it's I think it would be early days. Um, very clearly, ISIS is being, is being pushed. Uh, very clearly, there have been these reversals and loss of territory. Um, but it, there are still areas where they can be um, expanding into. And um, it, as you say, the kind of coalition against it is, uh, is very tenuous. And the working together of that coalition uh, sometimes is not so smooth. Let's turn to another situation that is uh, a, a worry for a lot of international experts, and that is in Yemen. They are mired in the midst of a humanitarian crisis. It's been that way for uh, uh, well over a year now. Uh, there's this proxy uh, battle going on, um, the Iranian-backed Houthi rebels, and then this uh, Saudi Arabia-led coalition of forces uh, loyal to the exiled president, uh, Abed mm. Rabo Mansour Hadi. Now, these warring factions have agreed to implement a ceasefire uh, that is set to begin next month on April 10th at midnight, and then it would be followed by peace talks. So before we get into all of that, uh, Dr. Piscatori, can can you tell us in a nutshell I guess for for the, for the benefit of our listeners, what exactly is going on? What 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 is the conflict in Yemen? Well, the, the situation in Yemen is, as you said, is very complex and very tragic. It seems to me that, the, that we should understand that the background is really ingrained instability, and the instability comes from tribal conflicts. It comes from failed attempts at unification of the country, weak governance corruption. But it also comes from the events of sort of the Arab Spring in 2011-2012, when the former president had to resign. So all of that is background. And I think maybe to summarize it, I would say that the Yemen crisis is really three conflicts going on at the same time, Hmm. which therefore makes it so difficult to resolve. The first is between the elected president, President Hadi, and the Houthis. And this is often portrayed as a religious or a sectarian conflict, but I think it's much more political and territorial. Uh, the Houthis have been around for a long time. They're a, they're a rebel group from the north, and um, it is true that they're a form, uh, one of the branches of Shiism. Uh, the president, Hadi, that you mentioned, is from the Sunni south. But the conflict really has to do with this fear that the province and the area in which the Houthis live in the north um, was going to lose a considerable amount of autonomy under new federal plans being proposed by the government. So it's basically a political conflict rather than a religious or a sectarian one. And as you say, the Saudis are supporting the President Hadi, and the Iranians are supporting the, the Houthis. So that's the first conflict. The second one is with al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. That's the name of the al-Qaeda branch in Yemen. And although al-Qaeda seems to have waned in, in strength elsewhere, mm-hmm. 
it's very powerful in Yemen, very powerful, maximizing its situation, the, the, uh, taking the opportunity for the conflict and all the tensions there to develop. So it's been very strong, but it's been fighting both Hadi, the president, and the Houthis. It's been fighting both sides. It basically wants the defeat of any central government, and it wants the defeat of the U.S. special forces, uh, which have been there for over a decade trying to stop al-Qaeda. Mm. So that's the second conflict. And the third conflict is between al-Qaeda and the Islamic State. And we have seen this kind of tension develop elsewhere, and it's certainly being played out on, on the field in Yemen as well. So really, the Yemen crisis is, a, is all these three conflicts yeah. coming together, and it makes it so difficult to resolve. Certainly, uh, that proverbial uh, perfect storm uh, yeah, absolutely. is what we see there. The ceasefire, um, what are the chances that it will hold? Is it tenuous? I think so. I, I think so. The, the, as you say, the, the, today there was a, an exchange of prisoners, so that's a hopeful sign. And it is true that the Saudis are sensitive to mounting um, international disapproval, particularly from the U.S., um, so there's a little bit of hope there, but but we've seen these ceasefires before, and they have quickly broken down, very quickly broken down. So I, I don't see that the this is likely to hold. Not an optimistic, uh, I suppose, assessment, and of course we still have a lot of time to go until April 10th, and then not even speaking of the uh, the peace talks that are supposedly to follow. If you could then perhaps game the situation for us, uh, Professor. Uh, what are the possible outcomes you see here in Yemen? And, you know, if you have this whole uh, situation conflated with what we just talked about in Iraq and Syria and even in Libya, um, h- how much more of a slog do you think the world is going to be going through? Uh, uh, quite a considerable one. I'm not optimistic. Mm. Um, I, I think it was, and you know, we saw in the case of the Iran-Iraq war, which went on for eight years, and it was a very brutal war with great loss of life and casualties on both sides. And basically it ended after eight years because both sides were exhausted, mm. and they didn't see any advantage of fighting on. This doesn't seem to be the case of Yemen. Uh, neither the government forces nor the Houthi rebels really are exhausted yet. So th- I think that's not, uh, that's not on the cards. Uh, add to that that we've got the Islamist radicals. We've got al-Qaeda and we've got Islamic State. And both are doing well um, in the east of the country, in the east of Yemen. And as you said, they're also now implanting themselves... Uh, Islamic State is in Libya and other places. Um, so wherever there is fragmentation, wherever there is weak government or a failed state, we're going to see uh, al-Qaeda, but especially the Islamic State, um, uh, becoming important. So as that goes on, and take the case of Yemen again, as the country is basically being destroyed, many young people don't see any hope, and so they're simply joining one of these radical groups. So in the end, I'm afraid, it seems to me that the likeliest scenario is one of instability Mm. and that it's likely to go on for many years. Yeah, well, on that unfortunate note, we will have to leave it there. Professor Piscatori, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Great. My pleasure.
Professor James Piscatori from Durham University.